It is Thursday night. Thank you for tuning in. This is KPFT 90.1 FM. This is HD2, and you are listening to Pop and Schlock Live with Jake and Meredith. But Meredith is not here right now because Meredith is undercover in the Ozarks. She will be back next week. Um, but we have some very special guests in the studio this week to help me talk about um, a film which is divisive to say the least. We are going to be talking about The Happy Time Murders, which, uh, if you are not aware, it is a film that... Uh, uh, basically posits the idea of what if we made a film nor but puppets were in it and tried to be funny um, so I want to introduce or I want my uh, my guests to be able to introduce themselves and uh, we'll get into the discussion so if you guys would go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about little bit about yourselves and why you're here today okay hello everyone uh, my name is Sasha Blaschka and um, I am a puppet enthusiast um, for a few years um, Houston actually has a puppetry guild um, that I'm a part of and I've had the honor of um, going to the National Puppetry Festival uh, last year in St. Paul, Minnesota. It was a week-long event. It was very intensive. Um, a lot of workshops, a lot of performances. Um, it was an amazing experience but um, I also make art dolls and um, I'm a fabricator so I also make puppets as well and um and yeah so and i was excited to uh see this film i wasn't really sure but i mean anything puppet related you know i'm, I'm up for it so yeah <laughs> and hello y'all my name is jack clanton and and like sasha i am also a member of the houston puppetry guild is that the official name of the Greater Houston, Greater Houston Puppetry Guild. Guild. Yes, yes. yes. Well. The Greater Houston Puppetry Guild. <laughs> another puppetry enthusiast and performer. Not as talented as Sasha, though. You should seriously see her stuff. She'll plug it on the end of the show, I assume. <laughs> and I am a full-time university student. Go Cougs. I'm legally obligated to do that. And actually, this is not my first time on Pop and Schlock, is it, Jake? No, I don't think it. I don't think it is. So, uh, for, for those wondering, I am Meredith's legal son, and nothing can prove otherwise. <laughs> and as the sole heir to a fortune, I hope for, I hope for mission to whatever undercover mission goes badly because those trust funds are quality, man, quality. But at, <laughs> when the Pop and Shock was a podcast, they had a running joke, which am I allowed to mention it, or do you oh, just, are you just yeah, tired of it? Uh, we're- allowed to mention it it just makes my brain hurt uh a tiny like little not quite funko pop figure of ronan the accuser from guardians of the galaxy back when i used to work at the comic shop and met meredith became a running joke called chibi ronan of him being a sad tortured angsty teen soul and for one episode i was actually the voice of chibi ronan performing on the air improv emo haikus and i sadly don't think i still have those recorded but if i do find them i will give them to a loving audience oh lord i Chibi Ronan was uh, 
a running joke that I wish never had the chance to walk. Uh, I was Chibi, uh, Meredith knows exactly how much I disliked Chibi Ronin, and that's why she kept it around as long as she did. But uh, it's good to have you guys on the program, especially because um, I think that this is an interesting film to try to do a deep dive on because it's so so and. Oh, Lord. Uh, for those of you not watching on the live stream, uh, <laughs> just just pulled up on his phone a copy of one of the emo haiku. I'm sorry. This was an improv emo limerick. Should I save it for the end for the audience? Yeah, let's save that for the end. And Fantastic. That's because we, we've got to go out on a high note, of course. <laughs> um, and... Looking at the Happy Time Murders, it was something... Whenever I first saw the trailer for it, I was really looking forward to this film. I need to, like, throw that out there. I was greatly looking forward to the idea of a mainstream film using puppets and trying to do something different. Um, I also started looking into the history of the film, and apparently this film has been in development or production uh, for some time, for about the last 15 years. Yeah. has been yeah, the, Pretty much. The, the production has gone through various stages, and various different people have been attached to star or produce, and produce the film, and I think that that is one of the main drawbacks of the film that I saw, is that... Um, it has the sensibility of a film that has gone through multiple eras of what is hot in comedy. Um, I can see that this was there were revisions and edits made to the screenplay that were obviously from a time when uh, Family Guy rose to prominence. Mm -hmm. I could see that style of comedy. Um, there was also stuff that you would see in uh, something more akin to like uh, Matt Greening's output. Um, yeah. But at the same time, the, the film is a tonal mismatch all over the place. Would, would you agree with that? Yes, actually, that's probably my largest um, complaint, I guess, overall for the film. It didn't really know what kind of tone it was going for. Um, <laughs> once again, like, if you look at the, like, the concept art, or um, I guess it would be concept art for yeah. it. it. They were, like, digital paintings for it, and it really set this really dark, gritty, noir... Um, detective type story and I was getting kind of excited for that because I mean it was dark but then you would see this ball of fluff you know on the <laughs> yeah, ground you know that's yeah, apparently good just something like that was it was dark but comical you know dark comedy of course and um, this really it, missed it's, a it's lot of not marks. in any way shape or form a dark comedy no it really no, is it, it, it's it, like, if you look at the concepts, like you said, you can see what they maybe originally were going for, but they went in a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because it feels like the advertising it went in a very different direction because a big thing is you've probably seen the advertising for this movie. You've mm -hmm. seen the, the first trailer I ever saw was uh, basically a two minute clip from the movie of a, and using dictionary terms, a puppet sex scene that mm -hmm. was very extended and elaborate. And that kind of set the tone for the whole movie, puppet sex movie. And then you had trailers where people made disparaging comments about Melissa McCarthy, supposed to be disparaging comments about Melissa McCarthy's genitalia. Lots of jokes about Melissa McCarthy having a penis. You yeah, know, there, there, a was a, there was a lot of... Um, sort of, it, it, Part of it was body shaming, and then mm -hmm. part of it was just like it was um, misogynistic and somewhat transphobic. There was a lot of that there. Um, and that's, I feel like part of the movie 
when they weren't being dedicated to the idea of this is uh, this is a noir like a film noir first, um, they took a film noir and then whenever they decided that they needed to throw the comedy in, they went they turned the raunchy knob to eleven. And that was their that was their only go to. That was the only trick in their little toy box. And I think that's interesting because the raunchy scenes <laughs> in the trailer are all of them in the movie. Yeah. Like right. if you've seen the trailers, you've seen every dirty joke every in the movie. Every dirty joke the film had in its repertoire was already put in one of the red band trailers. Yeah. So when it comes to the actual movie itself, the things the jokes that you see are like surprising because they're just like actual jokes they're I couldn't not remember. good well whenever i funny. whenever i saw the film i don't remember there being many jokes in the film that weren't showcased in the trailer yeah so those people who uh i mean generally speaking you see a trailer you assume that the jokes that are there are just kind of like the tip of the iceberg you expect there to be more of that and they sold this movie on the idea of it being a raunchy puppet comedy and then you get there and there's not a whole lot of raunchy comedy that you haven't already seen and so if you're unable to get invested in the storyline then the movie falls really flat really quick mm -hmm. yeah and um yeah to the point of like most of the shock value coming from the trailer um i actually had myself going into the movie expecting it or almost wanting it like to be more vulgar, yeah. You know, like, I mean, I, that's it, what it I was preparing the, myself the, for. The trailer set an expectation that it was going to be vulgar and that it was going to be vulgar throughout. Whereas mm. the the film really isn't beyond those little snippets. You could probably, well, how, how can I phrase this? You could take out the raunchy comic elements and probably get a more satisfying. Um, baseline tone because the raunchy elements and the like disgusting elements of it don't really seem to be in service of the plot that they're trying to put forward so th yeah. it, that's what i mean by mismatched it's not the the serious elements are not uh balanced well by the raunchy vulgarity at all and mm -hmm. that's interesting because think of the last like half hour of the movie do you remember any jokes um, from the last half hour no, I really, really don't. Other than, um, other than uh, the our, our lead puppet insulting uh, Joel McHale. Yeah, and that's first off. I, I think Joel McHale kind of deserves it because he, he's Joel McHale. He has like the face and body of someone who like naturally just kind of deserves to be made fun of a little. I you wonder know? if he. I wonder if he has a problem being typecast as a jerk because everything he does. He plays like the smarmy jerk. I mean, now, he, he can play a smarmy jerk with a heart of gold, but he's always yeah. playing a smarmy <laughs> jerk. Even in his Enterprise commercials, he's playing a smarmy jerk. He just has that face, you know? He really does. But it's funny because though the funniest joke of the whole movie, the, also basically the only joke not about puppet genitalia, was a scene at the end during the like the country house, like the Bob Cube location, where someone, where someone says... Well, like they they have to like sign to each other, like whisper something to each other, and Melissa McCarthy, you know, they're, they're both cops. So she's like, "What? What are you saying?" They go back and forth, and then she says, "I can't read your lips. You're a puppet." And then she just yeah. goes, pantomimes like a puppet flapping. That just came out of nowhere. That was that was actually a legitimately funny exactly. joke that took that took advantage of the fact that you had puppets and humans in the same like the same universe interacting like it's a normal thing. And I don't feel like that was an element that was explored well in the movie at all. Was that interconnectivity between like the puppet world and the human world? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting that you said that because I feel like that's my biggest problem with the movie: the fact that. This is a movie about puppets and humans, 
but the puppets don't really feel like they have a reason to be puppets. Like, there are some scenes where you're reminded, hey, the puppets, they work differently. Like, two of the murder scenes have, like, dogs either rip a puppet apart, or we see the stuffing of fluff everywhere. Or you have the scene where when the puppet is thrown into the ocean, and to, like, put his body in a body bag, they had to wring it out, which was like a, dish rag, which a genuinely, like, that, dark that, comedy moment that I thought was generally in, really in a, funny. In a different yeah. film, if they had gone the dark comedy route, that would have been, like, a truly affecting scene. As yeah. it was, it was just a slightly, like, slightly humorous gag. Um, and it, it's funny because I, I look at this film and I look at how in certain terms, if they had gone full dark comedy with it, I feel like I would have been a lot more entertained because you, the, the murders in this film of which there are, they are plentiful, mm -hmm. um, could have been a lot more. If you had managed the tone and played into that dark comedy of it, I think it would have been a lot more funny than the, Oh, let's just play, uh, let's just play up like the, uh, the bodily fluids and the vulgarity element of humor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that because, like, okay, it's going to be natural that when you see this movie, you think, oh, like Roger Rabbit, you know? And that's inevitable because they're both noir cop stories, cop and detective stories, with, you know, like, non-human cartoonish figures and substitution as a minority race. But Roger Rabbit doesn't really, like, try to do much with the, with the minority thing for the better, but with... But with the Happy Time Murders, it doesn't do a lot, but it feels like it's supposed to because it draws attention. I feel to like it, that's the, I know? feel like that's the the main difference is that Happy Time Murders tried to draw that parallel. They tried to make it a point, but then they didn't deliver on it at all. Mm -hmm. um, it was it's un it's it's undercooked to, to yeah, say the right. least. I feel like maybe um, and it's it's weird to say that with a film that's been in development for over a decade <laughs> yeah. um, but I feel like it needed a few more passes um, <laughs> on the script level yeah. Um, yeah. and normally you don't say that about movies that have been kicking around for more than 10 years. Well and especially like considering you're saying you know how long it's been in development another issue that I had with it was how underdeveloped the characters were. Now mm -hmm. the, the main character I think was was pretty good you know yeah he, he, well they they used standard archetypes to yeah. kind of flesh him out and right. in, a, <laughs> in a film noir you i mean in a film noir um archetypes are to be expected right. um yeah. and i did i did appreciate that for a for a film noir despite the fact that it's populated by puppets they played into the tropes mm -hmm. fairly uh significantly um the only thing that i will say about most film noir is that generally speaking whoever your main protagonist is in this case it would have been phil mm -hmm. um our puppet hero um your protagonist is never supposed to not be in any given scene um he's supposed to be the lens by which the audience views the mystery so that uh that third act part where he is incarcerated and melissa mccarthy and uh, maya rudolph get to go off and do their thing that's mm -hmm. the only thing that breaks from the convention of film noir everything mm -hmm. else seems very much in line with what you would see in a classic film noir it's just there happen to be puppets right. um and i feel like maybe that was something where they realized that or at least that was the moment for me where i realized they didn't really care about telling a film noir story but mm -hmm. maybe they should have because right. it for me it worked better as a film noir than it did as a comedy mm -hmm. and i look at uh like I uh, I have a weird extensive history with puppets um, <laughs> in that um, I was never I was never a huge uh, follower of like the original Muppet Show like I never watched the Muppet Show but um, Fraggle Rock 
and the original Muppet movie were two of like the major touchstones of my childhood. And so I have this kind of expectation of what I expect like puppets and puppetry and storytelling with puppets to look like. Um, so this film, I, I was sitting there and I'm looking at it uh, objectively. I go, okay, um, how are they handling the puppetry and using that to the effect of we couldn't tell this story if we didn't do it this way. Mm-hmm. And I never got that sense from this film. That mm-hmm. Okay, first off, I want to add that you absolutely look like the kind of guy who grew up in Fraggle Rock. Like, physically, yeah. you carry that energy with you. But that's... He's not wrong. That's my big issue with the movie, that this is a movie about puppets, but they don't do anything with it, because this is a movie made by Brian Henson, Jim Henson's, Jim Henson's son. You know, I'm not sure if you mentioned that at the beginning. Yeah. But th- that is just, like, an important thing to know. So, like, it's... T- Technically, it's a very well-made movie, you know, we can talk about it later, but a big thing I expected was, like, to be kind of playing off the fact that this is a direct result of the Henson legacy, you know, to play off the fact that (laughs) because they're not part of the official Henson company, and they're not especially not constricted by Henson now being owned by Disney, they can basically tell all the jokes they wanted to tell but never could, or jokes that they just knew they never could and are doing just because they could never never do those, you know? But... Mm -hmm. If you come into this expecting there to be, like, a joke about, like, a character who's like, oh, this is, like, based off a Sesame Street character, this is, like, oh, this is a stand-in for Kermit, there was none of that, which I thought was really interesting. The yeah, fact I, that there's like, no... I legitimately thought that maybe they would have used, and I, I, I think maybe it might have been because of the Henson legacy that they yeah. didn't, but it, this is a world where it's, they have full full license to, like, go all in on parody. Mm-hmm. And to uh, really, because I mean, the the central conceit of the film is that there is a massively popular um, puppet television show that is going into syndication, and I don't understand why we didn't see members of that show be direct analogs to characters that we already know and love, because that would have, in some way, engendered more comedy. I believe exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what it, cause, because because the all- film is a farce, but it's not a parody. Yeah, like, first off, like, the fact that it's a 90s sitcom really bugs me because, okay, I'm going to put this out there, this movie really feels like at some point in the writing process, it was going to be set in the 70s. The car, the television, the way they set Los Angeles, the the way it's, like, a buddy cop movie, but Mm -hmm. also part of that, like, 70s noir, like, throwback revival phrase, Mm -hmm. and just the fact that it's almost like this is a buddy cop movie about puppets. It's almost like those two genres of shows and movies had one big thing revival in the 70s, you know? And you feel like mm. a movie by the Henson Legacy about buddy cop puppets would have something about the 70s, you know? Yeah, you, you would think that that would make sense because the heyday of the Muppet Show was in the late 70s, early 80s. And Same with buddy cop and movies. And buddy cop yeah. shows like Starsky and Hutch and things like that. It would be a natural fit to set it in the 70s. I don't know why there's nothing in the film that would have precluded them from doing that. Yeah, there's no, like... I was trying to think about it, like, like was, the, was any smartphones? Was any, like, Instagram joke? Yeah, nobody the, uses any, like, modern technology. Mm-hmm. They could have very, very easily set this in the 70s or the 80s. I'm just wondering if maybe... Uh, it had something to do with the syndication plot. I feel like this film, this film has gone through. A, I can, I could see the revisions as yeah. I was watching. <laughs> like as someone who is a writer, I can see where it's like, okay, they tweak that, they tweak that. They, I can see that came from an earlier draft and something earlier mm-hmm. later on. And 
Uh, and there were certain things that just uh, the way that they, like you said, they portrayed Los Angeles that came across as uh, at times very like mid '80s or late '80s in the way that it was portrayed, like you, that that whole Venice Beach culture almost, mm -hmm. and like the Skid Row thing yeah. would have would have fit more if they had regressed the timeline a bit. And the reason I thought about that was my friend asked me, "Hey, I thought it's funny that." It took until the 90s for there to be like a big, they say, oh, this, the Happy Time show, like it created like Puppet Solidarity, you know, it was the first like mainstream show with puppets. Why? Why was like, I'm not going to bring something, oh no, how dare they have not logic in my puppet murder sex movie, but <laughs> it's for a movie that like takes itself surprisingly seriously. The, the moment the, the movie told me, hey, take this a little seriously, it's not just full comedy. I was like, okay, now I'm going to start asking questions like, why did it take until the 90s for there to be, like, integrated puppet human programs? Why is there still, like, such overt, like, 60s, 70s style of puppet racism in what's presumably the 2010s, you know? And also, like, getting getting to that, it kind of shows a failing on the part of uh, this film to do any sort of legitimate world building. Um, whenever I see a film like this, whenever I see something that's high concept, where it's like, okay, well, it's the real world, but there's puppets, I kind of want to have some background on how that world works, how it functions. Like, where did the puppets come from? How long have they been around? What is it that, you know, give me a glimpse into how that world works. And I didn't, beyond the whole, it's like, he was the first puppet cop, and now he can't be a puppet cop because there was some sort of controversy. Like, I didn't really get a good feel for how the world viewed puppets or, you know, how they, how that integrated society worked. And also, like, how, how they, I don't say regressed, but how they became so, like, downtrodden, I suppose, the puppets yeah. themselves. Because towards the, towards the beginning, there's a puppet who is being picked on by a group mm -hmm. of bullies, and they steal his eye, and he gets it back, and he goes on singing and dancing, and... I think Phil asks him to... Like, you don't have to do that anymore. He says, yeah. like, you don't have to do that anymore. And he's like, but I want to. But he wants to. And, and I was... And that's I, what I, I wanted, thought. I like, wanted a little bit more background into, like, what is it about these these puppets that makes them tick? I We're getting way too deep into this. <laughs> um, getting too deep about puppets is what we do semi-professionally. And by semi-professionally, <laughs> I mean not professionally at all. Neither of those two things are main jobs. But like, like you said, like, when he said, oh, you don't have to dance with a man anymore... I w and then the, he was like, but I like dancing. Puppets like dancing. I was like, okay, so you're going to give up on pretending you're not Roger Rabbit, you know? Like, the, when the movie did that, I was like, that's just Roger Rabbit. You know, saying puppets are, like, inherently this, like, silly, like, fun-loving dancing people. But it doesn't make any sense if they didn't... I guess the, the first, like, puppet-human integrated TV show was the Happy Time Show. But they never mentioned any puppet actors or media before the 1990s again yeah we, like we didn't get a we didn't get a glimpse of like uh puppet popular culture at all beyond the happy time like was there another one was there yeah. like was there a growth beyond that like i feel like that would have been an interesting story to like look at what came after happy time like yeah. what was it that replaced them um, that would have been an interesting thread to follow, but a lot of the interesting questions posed by the narrative of the film are not touched upon at all. Mm -hmm. And again, this wouldn't really be like, I feel like, a thing to care about if this was just like straight up a comedy. But the last half hour of the movie is basically them saying, no, take this guy seriously. You know, like well, this is like a well, detective I think the, story. I think the whole movie like pushes you to take it seriously because yeah. they focus more effort on 
pushing forward the plot and the narrative than they do trying to be funny. And there's there's very there's very little in the way of overt like oh, okay this is this is ha ha it's a comedy. It felt almost more like they were trying what they were trying to do was something in the vein of like an 80s film like Ghostbusters which was a it was a film that happened to be funny, but the the attempts at humor and happy time murders are so overtly it it was very try hard yeah um, it was it was way too forced and so i can i can see I can see why this film failed to connect because if you watch that trailer and you went in expecting that, you were gonna be let down. I walked in uh, having read a few reviews already telling me kind of what to expect and so I was able to adjust and see the film for what it was and I still find myself being disappointed by it because it it the concept allows it to be, it could have been a great comedy or a great film noir but instead we got neither. Yeah, and I feel like part of that is just the fact that when there's jokes, they like stop to tell the jokes, then they continue. Oh yeah, the movie you know? stops dead in, it tra in its tracks anytime yeah. there's a joke that needs to be told. But part of that is the fact that the puppets, a big thing I probably have in the movie is the puppets never do anything that reminds you that they're not human. You know, like there's very few of the very like classic Henson style non-human puppets. Like there's like a talking crab and then you have like an octopus thing and like a cow every so often, you know. There's some lots of jokes about, you know, like animal porn featuring puppets, you know. Yeah. But besides that, the puppets well like, again, talking about Roger Rabbit, Roger Rabbit, the tunes are constantly moving in a way unique to them and they're constantly like doing these tune things and it's established that tunes have their own dimension of reality like physics works differently for them you know they can slip they out can of handcuffs things. And, and that if was it's funny and that was something I wanted to talk to you guys about because if you have uh, experience crafting and performing with puppets mm -hmm. um, whenever you saw the whenever you saw the film was there anything where you were where you were kind of taken aback or you were surprised by what they did with the puppets in the film or do you feel like um, it wasn't it wasn't a uh, it wasn't up to snuff. Like, how did you feel about the actual puppetry in the film? Um, I think the the puppetry was was pretty good, um, pretty spot on. But but yeah, I thought they could have done so much more. I mean, it, and maybe like, this is maybe this is just me coming from someone as as a as an audience member. But I mm -hmm. felt like a lot of the a lot of the movement and a lot of the the work with the puppets felt very stilted to yeah. the point where it. I'm, I, I don't want to downplay it because I'm sure these, these people are very honed in their craft and maybe it was a stylistic choice, but whenever I think of uh, puppets and particularly the Henson legacy, my mind always goes to Kermit the Frog mm -hmm. and that sort of like outlandish, manic, over-the-top performance with puppetry and I didn't right. see any of that like there uh, I, I absolutely loved um, a few years ago whenever they did the the first Muppets reboot yeah um, mm -hmm. I love the movie I loved specifically um, sort of the uh, the manic mannerisms that they gave to Walter <laughs> um, Walter was was he was cartoonish and outlandish and I liked the way that they utilized like there was one of my favorite things to see in any puppet movie is whenever a puppet unimpeded by human hand or wire flies across the screen. <laughs> like, that's one of my favorite sight gags. I just, it, it just works for some reason. But there were no moments like that that utilized the inherent funniness in, like, a felt performer. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, like, with this movie, like, Walter was made, they specifically said, we made him to be the most generic puppet of all time. You know, he's an everyman. He's deliberately an everyman. But he is still inherently funny with what he does. With Phil Phyllison, the main puppet of here, 
he kind of looks like Walter. He is a very generic looking guy. But the re- this is the Henson. This is like a Henson alternative. I think this is the company name, but it's still the Henson company in some way, shape, or form. It is still well, very. They're still coming from the same lineage. Yeah, they're it's very deliberate. Same, fa- yeah. deliberate, fantastic performers. I th- I was going to say the stilted performance. It felt like they're going out of their way to make p- the puppets move in a realistic way to make yeah. and to make them move in like a natural, like r- realistic way where they don't feel like puppets. On one hand, I get that they did that to like show, hey, these are part of the world, these are, like, part of, they're just, like, natural part of the world to, like, t- to make you take them seriously. On the other hand, it just made for a less interesting movie. Right, yeah. he, they, from, a, from a visual standpoint and from a mm-hmm. comedy standpoint as well. Yeah, like, when a puppet moves, like, you, when you think of Kermit moving, he's, like, bouncing up and down, because when you're holding a puppet, you're moving, the way you move, like, if you just, like, make a, like, a little hand puppet with your one hand right now and move it, you don't move your arm forward, you do a little bouncy motion, because that's yeah. just... It's a, fun. It's, it's a naturalistic kind of way to add life to it. And going back to that, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite puppet-related uh, pieces of entertainment, um, and it's a good example of like using that movement to create comedy, was uh, the puppet episode of Angel Smile Time. Oh, oh yeah. The, the way that Puppet Spike and Puppet Angel move. Mm-hmm. Was how I view pu- that that sort of wild flailing. I would have liked to have seen more of that, at least in the background characters or the side characters. Maybe we use that to denote the type of personality. Like Phil's not going to move like that because he has a composure that would say, "No, I'm not going to walk like a puppet." Like he yeah. almost came across like he was kind of ashamed to be a puppet a lot of right. times. But yeah. you would have seen like the the other puppets in the world kind of just you know moving and dancing around. I would have uh, liked mm-hmm. to have seen more of that. That's fantastic mm-hmm. because my first exposure to puppets, my mother. Actually, my sweet, beautiful mother, angry mm-hmm. political blogger, like the fantastic woman, her her favorite show of all time is Buffy and Angel. And so when I was a kid, I didn't watch. There was no like big puppet show for early two thousands because I'm I'm nineteen. We, we the Muppets Tonight had ended by that point, you know. So my first exposure to puppetry was the ending bump, the ending bumper of a Billy and Mandy episode, which gave me nightmares and oh. Smile Time. Smile Time also gave me nightmares as a kid because my first exposure to puppetry was just brutal puppets murdering each other. <laughs> but because, like, in Smile Time, they had, like, less high-quality puppeteers, they, they'd move in a really, like, kind of jagged ways. But it just, it made it really clear that Angel, Puppet Angel was a puppet in a human role in a way that just made you kind of be aware of it. That just was more interesting than the way they do it in Happy Time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I I did like some of the Happy Time designs of the puppets, mm-hmm. which, I mean, it's hard not to. It's 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 Henson Company legacy. Um, but, again, they weren't utilized in a way that I felt was in any way truly meaningful. Um, because you could have really told the same story without puppets. And, this, and you could have probably made, I would say, 90% of the same jokes with real people and it would have worked um mm. like there's there's no reason why a uh a raunchy like over the top graphic sex scene you could have done that same thing with human performers and it would like they did the same gag in scary movie basically yeah mm-hmm. um there's no reason why that couldn't work the only puppet specific gags really were uh when melissa mccarthy was addicted to sugar yes. um and i mean <laughs> There's there's not a whole lot that you really would have had to change to make it entirely human, or for that matter, entirely puppet. Yeah, like honestly, my best friend, who is a creative genius, 
we came up with it. He, I think, I believe he came up with the idea. And we were saying the one thing that, to make them they move more like puppets. The one thing they should have done during the end of the sex scene when oh surprise he's you know like finishing and it's it's silly string. He should have done the Kermit arms because mm-hmm. picture right now that scene but with Kerm- him doing Kermit arms. Mm-hmm. I promise you it is the funniest it's ten thing. Times funnier. It is yeah. funnier than anything else in the movie. You know, <laughs> and that's just what you lose when you go through <laughs> such lengths to. Like you said, Scary Movie did the exact joke, you know, yeah. like, like finishing and so like all over the wall. But if he didn't like Kermit the Frog, like with the full arm flap, it would have been, been hilarious. unique to puppets in a really hilarious way, you know. The only thing that I, I would say, because uh, you know, I said you could make this entirely puppet and it, it would have worked just as well, is if they made it entirely puppet, but then still kept Maya Rudolph, <laughs> <laughs> because there's there's something that it. In Maya Rudolph's uh, like stone-faced expression when delivering dialogue, that cannot be replicated by any other human being. I love Maya Rudolph so much, <laughs> and her her character in this movie, just the banana gags yeah. got to me. Where she's just she's just like, can I have that banana? And then no. And then later in the next scene, she has a banana. I stole it from your apartment. Um, it, there was just something like those little non raunchy gags were the only ones that really worked for me because it came from a place of character rather than a place where they were trying to shock or offend. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the offensive jokes, really the only one that worked for me uh, was when they go to the creepy hotel at the end and the inbred puppet children are oh, screaming yeah. at each oh, other. That was yeah. my favorite. Like, like oh, there's no coming part. back from that. Yeah. Like, with me, that scene was actually, like, I felt like it's kind of my least favorite, you know, because, like, there was, like, they they bring up the gag of, <laughs> oh, two of the people dating on the show will see cousins in real life. And then they double down and say, oh, they got married. And then they call them, oh, the cousin, like, the kissing cousins, like, three, two or three times in a row. Mm. And then they have the scene where, like, they own this, like, Christian barbecue in the middle of nowhere in California. And then they apply to be, like, polygamous or in some weird thing. And then, like, the inbred kids joke with, like, the puppet with the three eyes just felt really sad to me. Like, it just felt like, oh, that's, you really, like... But also that moment where... They, you know, drive up to the place and they hear this like muffled screaming. See that was yeah. find my where, mind where immediately went to my mind immediately went to oh they're gonna do a true detective riff. <laughs> like, like I thought, I thought that was where we were going. It's like okay, now we're gonna get to the dark stuff, and then mm. it never materialized. Although that yeah. did have one of my favorite gags. Again, it's the stupid non-offensive gags that I thought were the best. Where Joel McHale, drop your weapon. I've already dropped it. Take off your sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> He takes off the sun. Sorry. Like, <laughs> stupid little gags like that and the banana thing were so much more appealing to me, and I felt so much better <laughs> yeah, written appealing. than any of the, the vulgarity that they threw and in honestly, there. like, comedy like that may have been ad-libbed for some it may have maybe. It may have been yeah. something that they, they just thought it'd be funny <laughs> on set, you know, you know, which happens a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and Especially with a comedic cast as, as this one. Sometimes I wonder, like, as we're you know contemplating whether it would have been better maybe as a just a full straight noir movie if the if the actors maybe weren't like of the 
like comedic sort. Yeah, I mean, well, you think... yeah. Uh, Meredith and I actually had a slight conversation about this. We were trying to say like if they played it a little bit more straight, and if they were going to recast the main role, we were thinking about instead of someone who's like a bona fide comedic actor like Melissa McCarthy, throw in somebody who's uh, who could be a straight man, like someone like uh, Taraji P Henson would have mm. been interesting. Uh, somebody who could have played it entirely straight and let the comedy come from there. I think mm -hmm. that might have worked, um, but. Since Phil is not so over the top in the puppetry department, he doesn't come across as cartoony. Straight man on straight man might not have worked. Yeah. Um, but there's so much in this film that just doesn't work by virtue of the fact that I don't think they really knew what they were trying to get across. Mm -hmm. um, I like the idea of it's like, okay, we have puppets living in a real person world. I like that concept. I just felt like it was done better back, you know, 15 years ago with Greg the Bunny. I feel like Greg yeah, the Bunny that's, that's fair. Uh, had a more uh, consistent thematic through line uh, as far as we understood how people felt about puppets. We felt uh, and we got a glimpse into like the world of like, oh, OK, this is puppet entertainment and like the, the way that they viewed it. Um, it was it wasn't a dark comedy. It was very broad, but at the same time, I felt like we it was a better lived in. It better it had better world building. Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm a sucker for if it's a heightened concept, the world building has to be on point. Um, one of my favorite dark comedies of all time is Death to Smoochie. I love mm -hmm. Death to Smoochie so 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 very much. And I feel like if they had gone that tone with this film, it would have done. It would have been a cult classic within a year. But yeah. it it's so all over the place in terms of what they wanted to do. And it, it feels like when it comes to just, like, the comedy, it's... I feel like when it comes to comedy, you know, like, they really did advertise this as, like, a full-on, like, wacky comedy. Mm -hmm. But... And it's not. It's not even a wacky <laughs> comedy, but it's not even, like, wacky puppets. You know, no puppets really wacky in this movie. Not even, like... And that's just really weird to think about. Every puppet in this movie was, like, really straight-laced. You know, like... Okay, like there was only like one scene that felt like a dirty version of a Henson joke, and that was in the sex shop when they they show like the weirdest porn they have, the weirdest pornography they have, in terms of it was like an like a octopus headed like bipedal creature and like milking a cow like erotically, and that was just like that weird interaction between like suddenly sentient animals doing having weird interpersonal relationships and i and i like that the that the shop owner was like yeah it's weird like i got <laughs> yeah. the, the internet is stealing all my money i have to make my own content and i've got to stand out and i, I you know that that was um like that that whole little bit yeah like that alone like if that was the raunchy bit that would have been fine because if it would have come out of nowhere it would have surprised you and then we could move on yeah but I felt like they dwelt. It's like, oh, we put one raunchy bit in. Now we've got to do twelve more. They were always trying to like live live up to that expectation, and I feel like that hindered the film in the long run. Yeah, because jokes like that worked. Because it, it, it even if it was just like a cow and a, and like an octopus like getting married or something, just like a PG version, that'd just be funny. You know, that'd just be like there's a re there's a reason Gonzo the weird alien creature thingy majigger married ma being married to a chicken it's just like inherently just funny, funny. Yeah. it's just funny you know like and it, it's weird because this movie felt really safe in places and mm. if there's one thing like it's there's a weird discussion about this you know because like we talk a lot with our puppeteer friends about like when they go to like disneyland and see the 
to see like the Muppets perform then, mm-hmm. they're performing the audio tapes. You know, like Eric mentioned that. You know, like we have the puppets performing in the town square of Disneyland to like pre-recorded tapes, and there you have to have like really lip sync. You know, you have to like be on time, and that and so and lots of people I see, especially online, you know, have really strong opinions about that because lots of people feel like the energy of the Muppets was we will be willing to do anything for a joke. We will be willing... Like, if we're just going to throw everything at the wall if possible. And the greatest writing advice I've ever gotten was from Jim Henson. And he said, if we didn't know how to end a bit, we'd either have a monster eat somebody or have something blow up. And that's why all Muppet <laughs> sketches end in someone being eaten or something being blown up, you know? And, and I love I love that style of comedy. I love that that's the way that they, they had a mantra that they lived by. I loved... Um, like a lot of my a lot of my sense of humor comes from watching uh, Henson productions like Fraggle Rock, um, and then also uh, more specifically, I was raised on Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. Like Looney Tunes was pretty much like that's how I knew what was funny. Um, so. Um, Dressing up as the opposite sex to confuse somebody will always be funny to me. If you can include an opera, that makes it better. Um, if some, if you, uh, if you talk fast enough to confuse somebody, that is funny. Um, it's there are certain things that are always funny to me, and it's what I look at. Happy Time Murders. One of the things that I find most intriguing is the fact that had they decided to make this an integrated puppet, like real world puppet film if they wanted to keep it exactly the same but if they wanted to make it PG and just make it an actual Muppet film it would have worked They if if they would have just had um, like they could have had Fozzie Bear play the Phil role and yeah. ha- pair him up with uh, literally anybody who uh, could be the straight man they could basically do this film but sanitize it to the point where uh, we, we aren't relying on the vulgarity and I think it would have worked better honestly mm-hmm. because part of part of what's inherently funny funny about puppets too is that they are um, they're intimately appealing to younger viewers yeah mm-hmm. you know it's, it's the it's the color it's the texture it's it's just kids are drawn to that and so the idea like in my head the idea of like Fozzie Bear like dealing with uh, like a string of crimes related to like you just make it about the Muppet show like he's like he, he gave up his life of comedy because he realized he wasn't good at it <laughs> and he becomes a hard-boiled PI uh, like he's like Waka Waka Inc or something and then uh, <laughs> you know and you could keep the supporting cast basically the same and it would have worked um, because they tried to do workplace comedy with the Muppets revival on ABC and I thought parts of that show were really funny um, but I don't think that they gave it enough time to kind of grow into its own thing mm. so I would have loved I would have loved to have seen a sanitized version of this script because I think that sometimes whenever you go for vulgarity you you go for the easy laugh and you fall flat. But if you if you stretch yourself and you try to make things PG, that leads to comedy that is unexpected sometimes. Or at least that's the way that I feel. Especially with regards to something like this where puppets are involved. Right. And um, as far as um, like vulgarity goes, <laughs> I was expecting to compare this more to Meet the Feebles. Mm-hmm. Um, which I have not seen in its entirety, but I've seen enough. <laughs> yeah, if but, you've seen um, any of Meet the Feebles, you've seen enough. Yes, and I, I pretty much know what it's all about. But um, I also but, feel, but yeah, but I felt like Meet the Feebles probably had a better tone. I mean, mm-hmm. they know they knew what they, they knew were, exactly what they were oh, doing. Exactly. They, it yeah. was that way across the board. Right. The same way that I think that. 
honestly part of the reason why this film doesn't connect at least in terms of like the idea of uh, puppets being vulgar is that it has been done and mm. it's been done better like there's uh, I feel like there's no reason for this movie to exist in a world where we have something like Avenue Q right um, yeah which was far more clever and uh, I, I feel like uh, maybe so having elements out there with that have done similar types of tone um, kind of undercut what this film was trying to do Mm -hmm. Especially because it's been in development for so long. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think a big thing with that is that it's funny that you mentioned, like, the adult parts of this kind of felt the weakest. Because that's because when Sasha and I, like, when, when we have, like, the, like the, every so often the poetry meeting for the other members, you know, mm -hmm. a big thing we talk about sometimes is just the fact that, like, puppetry, there's nothing about it that just has to be for kids, you know? It just, it's, puppetry is interesting because it's it's the act of everyone getting together and really agreeing to just kind of lie to each other that something is real, you know, like right. if we, we all when we all just get together and say, "Hey, this is this is not fake," you know, mm -hmm. and then if someone does a really good job of making you not have to work to think this is not fake, that's just something entertaining about that, you know. Mm -hmm. When you don't, when just the act of everyone coming together and deciding something is true, is just like weird in a way that your brain likes, you know. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to like this movie. It feels like the raunchy comedy was like at the very beginning or the very end of the development because I feel like the biggest potential of this movie could have been was just like a kind of like a pub like a like a puppet like cop movie that could have just been like honestly if this movie was PG thirteen it could have worked you know like yeah I, f I feel like if they would have uh, prioritized telling a good story that had a consistent tone and Meredith knows exactly how much I care about tone um, it's like my buzzword for this show but if they had managed to keep a consistent tone throughout the film and been less concerned with like oh how can we shock the viewers exactly it would have worked because I, I kind of was invested in the story like I wanted to see how it was going to play out now because I've seen and read so much noir I kind of <laughs> knew exactly what was going to happen from the moment the plot started but at the same time I was invested in seeing it's like okay how are they going to allow this to play out yeah you know and it, with that it just comes to like if this I feel like the ideal situation that you can you can really see in Henson Media like ever since it started with the Muppet Show the Sesame Street is very much made for kids but the Muppet Show was like we're just gonna like the first episode of the Muppet Show was called uh, sax and violence, you know, because I have sax and violence and like sex and violence, you know, because it, it's it's very <laughs> funny that like if they just didn't have to worry, but if they wanted to tell a joke about just like puppet ejaculation and they didn't have to worry about it, they and they could do it. I feel like they would make a good product, but since they only had like one, they had one movie, you know, if they had like a show or something, if they had like a like a Netflix already a Netflix show. Well, they could tell these jokes, but then not have to, you know, if they just had the option available to them, mm -hmm. I feel like they'd be used a lot better. But be when it comes to this movie, you only have one movie and you need to advertise it. You need to like market it to people because no one, no they one chose, they chose the easy marketing strategy. Yeah. What they you did, know? And it backfired on them massively because this, the film did not connect with audiences at all. It made yeah. barely any money. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that it's, it's a terrible film by any stretch of the imagination. Cause I thought it was going to be the worst thing I've seen all year. And oh, definitely. And it's, it's not in any way, shape or form the worst movie I've ever seen. It's not even the worst movie I've covered for this show, but at the same time, it is one of the most disappointing that I've seen in a very, very long time mm -hmm. because 
it in either direction, either in terms of vulgarity or in terms of uh, telling an interesting uh, film noir story with puppets, like both of those were abject failures, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, with that, it just, it just kind of feels like, like you said, you know, like if this was just like like a, like a Hulu or Netflix show, like Stranger Things, you know, like Stranger Things is a is a famous example of something that only could work because it couldn't work as a show or a movie. You know, it had to be like this kind of long format, only eight episodes, like eight hour long episodes kind of thing, you know, and Stranger and like it, you had to like chop off like a whole third of the story to get their first season to work as a show or a movie, you know? Well, I, well, I feel like this would have worked as, uh, as a Netflix or a Hulu show because you could see something, uh, it could be something along the lines of like uh, Dimension 404. Exactly. Um, where you are allowed to be a little bit silly and the expectations are not the same as like marketing a full-blown film. Absolutely. You know, like if people can just like, if people went into like the, uh, the Netflix show, The Happy Time Murders, just knowing word of mouth, oh yeah, it's just genuinely like a show like PG thirteen for like a wide range of audiences because I feel like that's just what you what a lot of puppeteers want to tell you know like there's something universal about like even if you're just not telling the jokes people just want to watch puppetry because it's fun entertaining you know it's mm. just fun to see be done and because of that like afterwards the jokes you know sometimes they want to tell an already joke you, know, you can do that but w- when it's an expectation it becomes like a weight you know like the moment it becomes a thing you have to do, it stops being a thing you do well. Because, uh, and like that, that makes sense. And like I, I feel like if it were in a different format or if it were carried through a different delivery system, also what you could see is maybe it becomes a thing where you've got an episode and they keep it mostly PG thirteen, but then out of nowhere there's just this huge like absolutely vulgar probably couldn't even show it in movie theaters level (laughs) joke and that's like it's once an episode and then like the whole time you're watching like let's you're watching three episodes in a row it's like oh god what are they going to do this episode (laughs) um as opposed to a film where you're like wow i'm I'm getting whiplash from the tone i feel like if you if you told it as like a longer form like thing of storytelling it would have they would have had more uh more leeway with how they manage that disparate tone Mm -hmm. And world building, and, too. and they would have yeah, more time for definitely. world building. We could have they they could have done flashback episodes. Mm. They could do. There's so much that they could have done. And I, I love seeing Netflix shows that play with the format like that. The best example I can think of is earlier this year when we did uh, our episode about Glow, where in the end of the season they yeah. did an episode that was just okay. We're going to show you what an episode of the show is like in universe. We're just going to air <laughs> an episode of the show, and it worked. And you could do something like that with the Happy Time Murders. Like you could like do. An episode of the Happy Time Show <laughs> yeah. as an episode of the show, and I think it would work gangbusters. It would definitely have uh, gone uh, a long way to helping us care about the characters who were being murdered. Right. Um, yeah. Because the only characters that uh, the only character that I got a sense of feeling for when they died was um, uh, Phil's brother. Because we had at least one sit-down scene with him, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and we got to see like his transition, and like we got to know him a little bit, as opposed to the other ones that just kind of got bumped off immediately without any sense of like connection to that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I- and I hate to be the guy who's like everything needs to be a Netflix show because I don't want to advocate <laughs> for that. But Netflix and uh, streaming are just wonderful avenues for storytelling. In a with when you have ideas that don't lend themselves well to your traditional like. Uh, feature film format. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, you think about 
like how long did this movie feel to you guys? Because it felt longer than ninety minutes. It longer than that. It was ninety minutes. Yeah, it was an hour and a half. Yeah. Wait, really? Yeah. I went to use the restroom twice. It felt really long. Like, I I try not to use the restroom too much. And I'm not going to go my tirade about how the movie so slushies are the size of a small, particularly chubby child. You know, but like, how is this a small? Well, it's uh, it's roughly the size of a small child <laughs> if liquefied. Oh my gosh! But like, the only scene I missed was like part of like the gunfight in the in the opening in the, in the porn store. You know, and with with that, it's just. Ninety minutes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But like, like it, you, it felt like a, it felt like a two, two and a half hour film because it dragged. And part of that is because, like I said, they were kind of beholden to um, nor convention. But at the same time, uh, like know your audience and know what they can handle. Um, I feel like if you there, there's an app that you might want to know. It's called I don't know if you know about Run to Pee. It tells mm-hmm. you the scenes that you can skip because they're non-essential. Nah. Um, for this movie, it would just be go whenever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like come in, come just out. Go. You know? Just go. You're not missing anything. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I mean the. It's it's a it's a relatively it's a disappointing film. Beyond that, it's like it's not offensive in terms of like oh this is the worst thing I've ever seen. It's mm-hmm. offensive in terms of like for me as a writer, there's so much opportunity that they just left untapped, mm-hmm. and that's what really is disappointing about it to me. Because yeah. I'd love I'd love to see a uh, a feature film that utilized puppets in an interesting way and told a story that another format wouldn't allow you to do. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of utilizing the format that's the best way to tell the story. It's why I'm sometimes disappointed that we're so reliant on CGI animation whenever I'm a big fan of traditional hand drawn features. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that we're ever going to get back to that line of thinking really. Um, so. I'm not saying that this this film shouldn't have tried. I wish they would have tried harder. Yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, yeah. I mean, it had a, a fairly good concept, but I mean, of course, it, not not, not the most original. I mean, mm-hmm. but still, you could you can just imagine. You can after seeing this movie, you can just think of a better way they could have gone about. All that things. goes through your mind are the possibilities that <laughs> exactly. they exactly. You know, and that really like. It, it's weird because you you never think of like the Muppets as a just like anything Muppet related as something where you can like take it and then expand it on yourself because every Henson property has this really really unique style and like mm-hmm. method you know and when other, and sometimes it feels like when other people do it it just doesn't kind of work because it was so like kind of based on the creator you know and like with this it feels like kind of generic enough where you will feel like you could punch it up better yourself. Which is like fun as an audience member, but disappointing, especially with something that's usually so unique. I don't like walking mm-hmm. out of any movie theater wishing that uh, I had done the movie's job for them. Yeah, you um, know, they, like I don't want to be that guy because that guy turns into the people who go on Twitter and say that they should remake the Last Jedi. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to get into that. And um, I shouldn't have to be the guy that says, "Hey, I'm going to look." You I should have to be the guy who puts down pen to paper and says and then when the puppet finishes sex and he and he finishes with silly string all over the room he does the Kermit arms because that should just be like that should be common sense that should be common, common sense. sense you know like, I, I feel like, I mean honestly like I didn't know what about that doesn't immediately come to me as like yeah this is uh, it just does speak to the movie that it tried really hard to like 
I, I don't know what they hope to achieve with having the puppets be so human-like and realistic and not... I don't know what they try to achieve by intentionally not being wacky. I don't know. And it's... I, I think maybe perhaps they were, like you mentioned earlier, trying to make them feel like they were an organic part of the their surroundings. Like, it, they weren't supposed to be out of the place. But I feel like that was a mistake in the yeah. end. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Well, we are almost out of time. So I want to give you guys a chance. Uh, if there's anything that you need to promote, let people know where they can find you. If you need anything to, if you need to, uh, like, shill some pro projects or anything, now would be the time to uh, let people know. Okay. Um, well, I go by post hummus on the interwebs. So um, let's see. Post underscore hummus is my screen name on Instagram. And I'm going to be at Staple Independent Media Expo uh, in Austin um, next weekend. And I'm going to have a bunch of um, resin figures, uh, illustrations, <laughs> and some uh, needle felt dolls. So awesome. Cool. Yeah. And I am 19 and in college. So I, I had to promote myself, you know, like <laughs> if you heard me and you're like, Hey, this kid with a speech impediment on the radio, so he talked about puppets a lot. And you thought I need to give him a job. Absolutely. Right into, right, uh, what's, where can the fine li listeners write into Pop and Shock and be like, hey, I want to give this uh, nice boy you, a job. If you want to try to get a hold of us, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Pop Schlock Pod. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. We are at Pop and Schlock Live. Um, or you can just send us a message on Facebook. If you just search Pop and Schlock, we'll come up. And that's why I call it diegetic promotioning social media. Yeah. That's so di diegetic yeah, advertising. Send, send it to us. We'll, we'll pass along. Uh, we'll pass along everything to Jack. And um, my father also does a radio show, Execution Watch. Execution Watch. It, it, it does it over in China View. It's I'm not sure what channel. It's just a bad advertisement. All I know is he does it, and every so often my mom says, "Oh, dinner's dinner's postponed. There's an execution again tonight." Like we're in 14th century France, you know? Yeah, uh, I, I think they actually. I've I've heard Execution Watch here on KPFT before. Oh, hey. Um, which uh, it's it's an interesting program and one that can be um, very sobering. Uh, to listen to. Oh. It's, it's not an easy listen. Oh, time. my dad's dinner time, dinner time stories are terrible. But execution <laughs> watch. Texas is the last state to still have the death penalty. Are we the last state to have the death penalty? Oh, no. We, no, there, no, no. No, there's, we ha there are quite a few. Yeah, but uh, we're one of like the biggest ones. We, of... we are the leader in state-sanctioned executions. Yes, and so still. every time... Woo, some... Texas number one! Yeah, <laughs> Texas number one. Every time someone is killed in Texas, or at least in the General Harris County, <laughs> Uh, a series of, of like professionals and lawyers, one of them being my father, just talk about it, you know. And it is a reason my house is so depressing. So listen to it to justify the the way the way my house is. But Jacob, I do think I have one gift for the reader. All right. For the so as we t as uh, as we wrap up the show, uh, Jag is going to read us some of Chibi Ronan's uh, poetry <laughs> from the previous incarnation of the show. Uh, if uh, if this doesn't put you into an immediate coma, we will see you again next week. So go ahead and take us out. Ahem, ahem. Airwaves of the future pirate radio generation pierce my ears with a pitch-black sensation. So-called podcasters, fascism masters, torture me with their creation. A poem by Jibby Ronin. Rest in peace, the worst joke this, this radio show has ever had. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we will see you next time, guys. Thank you very, very much.